Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. From Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard to Robert Altman's The Player, the movie industry has long been a fixation of, well, the movie industry. A new film, Official Competition, again plays into that time-old fascination, satirising the business of making films and playfully poking fun at the art of acting itself. Or is it a craft? Or is it just pretending? The film sees Penelope Cruz as Lola, the bewigged, eccentric superstar of film directing, as she makes an adaptation of a novel about the rivalry between two brothers. Those brothers are Felix Rivero, in turn played by Antonio Banderas, and Ivan Torres by Oscar Martinez. And I'm joined today to ask whether official competition is a winner and to dwell more widely upon the movies about movies genre by the digital editor at Little White Lies magazine, and that's Hannah Strong and the film critic Castro Salmon. Luckily for you, we'll all be playing ourselves today. Welcome to the programme, both. Lovely to have you here. Hiya. Casper, it's been ages. How are you? I'm a lot older, thank you. OK, you're looking good. <laughs> Hannah, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. OK, we've struggled slightly to get here today, haven't we, in all sorts of ways, but perhaps we've strengthened and made more robust by watching official competition. I'm going to start, Hannah, by asking you, at the beginning of the movie, Humberto Suarez, this rich old Spanish industrialist, wants a legacy, and he says, maybe I'll build a bridge and put my name on it, or maybe I'll finance a film and live forever that way. Is financing a film a wise thing to do? This is, by the way, what happens. This is the film that the two brothers make or the two actors make with Penelope Cruz's character. Is it a good thing to invest in filmmaking for for anyone? I well, yeah. I mean, this this is the the question that has been the sixty four million dollar question, if not higher. It's been haunting our culture for the past what three four decades now, and um, you know, I, I think that as a film critic, it's something I always would like to see is more investment in film but given the whole uh, HBO Warner Brothers debacle at the moment yeah. where you can make a film and then suddenly it can just be written off as a tax uh, you know <laughs> thing it's I do think maybe he would have been wiser to invest in the bridge but I very much enjoy the kind of humorous element of if you're a rich old man who wants a legacy you choose between a bridge and a movie i think that's i wish i had those problems in my life you it's know? a very much first world problem isn't it <laughs> if not a zero zero point one percent problem luckily for us though umberto suarez chooses a movie and he chooses lola this amazing spanish director to uh, adapt this book he doesn't read the book of course but he just <laughs> he eats an ice cream like a little child while he talks to the director let's talk about the characters we've got lola we've got felix and we've got ivan who the two brothers and the director casper let's talk about those characters they're big bold primary colored characters aren't they what sort of world are we in with these characters yeah, so we're in a strange kind of world which is sort of somewhere between high-flown caricature and a more kind of squeaky satire of the of the film industry, which mm-hmm. intends to be, you know, quite sort of on the nose. So it's a funny kind of register that the film is operating on, I think. And within that within that mode, yeah, there's so Penelope Cruz as Lola, the film director who is 
kind of intransigent and asks a lot of her actors and in fact plays upon the rivalry between these two superstars of acting, or rather one of them is a superstar, Felix, played by Antonio Banderas, and the other is a highly esteemed actor. Sort of uh, we've got the kind of Hollywood star and the theatre, the sort of grand theatrical actor. Exactly. We've yeah. got a kind of Spanish Joey from Friends in the person of <laughs> Antonio Banderas. And then Ivan, played by Oscar Martinez, is doesn't have <laughs> doesn't have an equivalent in the show Friends. I'm afraid to say. Oh damn! Yeah, I know. Okay, um, but he um, that was that metaphor was going so well. I, it was just going to be really good, and then I, and then I fell on my face. But Ivan is a quite self-regarding actor mm. and highly esteemed thesp, mm. and the whole film is about the ways in which Lola pits these two personalities against one another for the purposes of creating comedic situations. Beautifully told. Thank you for that little pressy of the needle. So, the, And the story is about two brothers that rub along against each other. And, of course, these two brothers, Hannah, they start to turn into their characters. Or maybe they're not that far away from their characters. Maybe two men of a similar age and a similar disposition are never that different from each other. All these things are sort of set up as discussion points in the film, I suppose. And as Casper says, these two very differing approaches to the craft of acting itself, right? We have a bit of life imitating art, imitating life, imitating art. It's, it's very meta, I think. And, uh, Hannah out with the Venn diagram. We're only, <laughs> we're only six minutes in. With my little uh, board with <laughs> strings all over it. Thank yeah, you. Um, uh, <laughs> the two directors who make the film, Gaston Duprat and uh, Mariano Cohn, are... A filmmaking duo they work together a lot and their work is kind of primarily concerned with the creation of art as a lot of films about filmmaking tend to be about the creative struggle really at the heart they're not about films they're about how hard it is to be an artist and I enjoy that official competition really um sends up that kind of like brooding artist persona, particularly with uh, Ivan, who takes himself very, very seriously. And there's a wonderful scene where he is rehearsing his Oscar speech in the mirror, but it's not really an Oscar speech, it's a rejection because he doesn't believe in awards. So good. but yeah, when holding a kettle, holding a kettle, uh, <laughs> it's just like it's the most kind of like pompous display of I'm above it all. But then when Lola kind of is trying to think of ways to motivate, shall we say, Felix and Ivan, she decides to destroy their awards to kind of motivate them. Felix and Ivan get very upset by this, and. It's... There is a wonderful sort of bonfire of the vanities with a sort of pulping grinding machine, which kind of, yeah, she chucks. They're not necessarily golden bears and Oscars and things that we recognise, but they're very close to, aren't they? These yeah. things that go into the machine. Yeah, and it really kind of cuts through these two above-it-all personas that they have, and they become like little kids, kind of like squabbling. And uh, Lola is really the puppet master with them. She is totally in control of these warring egos and it's very refreshing I think to see a female director being given the kind of bombastic treatment that we've come to expect from male directors Mm. and that was maybe the most refreshing element of the film is that they just had the kind of savvy to cast someone like Penelope Cruz who is such a charismatic performer and given her relationship with Pedro Amavada where I think there's this perception of her as his muse. It was nice to see her kind of getting to be the uh, bombastic auteur for once. I really enjoyed how 
in it she is in this movie. She's really going for it. Yeah, they all sit all three of them, and it's kind of like a there's a lot of it are sort of set pieces, right? They're built around certain jokes, really good visual gags, and things like this. They're all very in it, aren't they? I mean, I suppose as a sort of three hander, they kind of have to be, but they all seem to be inhabiting their roles, sort of. To an nth degree, Casper, would you agree with that? I mean, yeah. Lola as well. I mean, as Hannah says, Penelope Cruz's Lola is quite a delicious character you'd have thought to get your teeth into. Yeah, I agree. I think Hannah's right. I thought when we were being given the setup, and the, the start of the film is quite a lot of setup, actually, I think, telling us quite explicitly in Lola's words that she's going to make these two famous actors inhabit the rivalry at the heart of the film. So we know all of this is going to happen. And my fear at that stage of the film was that we were going to see a downtrodden woman and that they would browbeat her. Mm. And I found it really quite delicious and surprising, the first scene in which she challenges them, where yeah. she gets Ivan to repeat his... Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> yeah. about, it's about 20 times or something like that, and it's so beautiful. Can and we, she um, is just, she's we... so steely yeah. and unbudging. A lot of that relies, as Hannah said, on the kind of meta quality of who Penelope Cruz is. And I think perhaps that's not a flaw in the film, but a slight weakness that Oscar Martinez, not having quite the level of fame of his two co-stars, isn't able to kind of give us that persona. We, we, I mean, I'm certainly not playing off any known persona that Oscar Martinez projects, whereas Banderas very much has a star persona, so does Penelope Cruz. And I'm getting a lot from that when I'm watching this film about filmmaking, if you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And she uses her star persona brilliantly to kind of lord it over these men. In that same scene, just to pursue that vein, I did find it fascinating to see Banderas, who I think is having the time of his life, doing his drunk acting. I think it's in this, that same scene. Yeah. Um, and she's asking, and she asks him to give a five out of ten in drunk acting and then a six out of ten. <laughs> yeah. I think she starts, she wants him to do three out of ten drunkenness and they end up at 6.5. Yeah. And what's incredible <laughs> is that Banderas acts somebody who's acting that drunkenness and he actually does it you can yeah. see him go up the degrees from kind of you know pissed to absolutely chart. fucked yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and he can do it and it is it's good, isn't it? there's Satisfying. there's real yeah there's real pleasure in seeing that kind of joy of performance and it's an interesting thing as well this isn't there are films films about films where you see sets and you see this is all about the rehearsal room isn't it as we should tell our listeners as well which is quite a it's just quite a niche, I suppose, in its way. But it's the most fascinating part, perhaps, of any film, isn't it? Seeing these people learning their lines, as Casper says, repeating good evening and good evening over and over again until you get the intonation right for the sort of scene that's happening. I can't think of anything else that's happening in a rehearsal room, Hannah. It's kind of nice that it's not we're not seeing set dressers, directors' chairs and all the rest of it, perhaps. Yeah, it's a different approach, for sure. I think that a lot of filmmaking about filmmaking is very preoccupied with the actual kind of onset experience or process before when you're writing your incredible screenplay. Thinking of like yeah. mank and adaptation, which really take place kind of before the film, but 
are less concerned with the acting, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where there's a slight hiccup is that you do just spend a lot of time going, okay, yeah, I get it now. They don't like each other very much. <laughs> and um, she's kind of pushing them to their limits. And then we skip. I do like that we skip the whole kind of filming process and we just yeah. come out with the film being finished, which I think was a smart move because the film is two hours and I think it could have maybe stood to be a little bit shorter just because you do get the sense quite quickly of what this relationship is and I don't think there's a ton of character development. I don't think it's, you know, these characters are really going on a a journey of self-discovery, which is very funny to watch. It's is there something of the fact that these are kind of these both these two actors are sort of empty vessels. Both of them one one arrives in a Ferrari, one one arrives in a taxi, but they're sort of the same thing. They are they are empty vessels to be filled up with lines and emotions by a director and a scriptwriter. Perhaps is that I wondered whether when I was watching it and I thought the same thing that maybe there was a point to that, or maybe I'm just being very generous. I think yeah, I can definitely see that and I think that is probably a damning (laughs) indictment of of actors (laughs) as a writer first and I haven't been an actor since I was in high school doing the you know the end of year production I think it is quite a mean film about acting but in a kind of you know actors don't really need any more coddling than they get you know I think they're so used to being told how wonderful they are it's kind of fun to see a film that really does just treat them as kind of overgrown children in a way but I just think I wish maybe there was a little bit more kind of of an arc for Felix and Ivan because I just don't think they really go very far in the film I think it's it reaches a point where they kind of can't get pushed any further but there's no kind of follow-up to that for me I think Casper's nodding and I know yeah so, so so tell us about that Casper is it anything more than a film simply about the pricking of egos I wonder I think not and I think that the pleasures of the film lie in, in it being simply what it is. Yeah. And there are pleasures there, but it's a really inside baseball kind of film. Mm-hmm. Like, if you recognise these types, if you're invested yeah. in the film industry, which we all are here, and if you know who these actors are, all of that can be pretty delectable. But there isn't a deeper layer to it. And I thought that there might be at one point, because what we start with this whole prologue of, you know, this film being invested in by some kind of Rupert Murdoch type for the purpose of burnishing his ego and then that kind of goes nowhere and I'm not quite sure why we sort of lose that narrative because it's quite interesting to think about it does it pop being up a... doesn't he the, the microphone kissing scene and yeah. things like that and he just sort of beetles off doesn't he it's uh, you're right he's not he's sort of he's a cipher of something rather than yeah because it could have been quite interesting to anchor it in you know the political reality of you know <laughs> of modern Europe or whatever his reasons might be for wanting to kind of make himself be better appreciated by the the great public or whatever it is but we'd lose that narrative of this millionaire and I don't know why and we don't really get any backstory about these actors and so it comes back to what I was saying at the top which is that we're stuck in this limbo between caricature and kind of you know on the nose satire and I think the film doesn't really go either way. It was sort of reminded me of two things, the sort of the anecdote about Laurence Olivier to Dustin Hoffman mm. when they're doing Marathon Man. Have you ever tried? And he's the method actor and he stayed up for three days to kind of hone the character. And Olivier just turns around, have you ever tried acting, dear boy? Great, great anecdote. And right, I think there's, there's a bit of that. And, and obviously the Dustin Hoffman character is 
is Ivan, right? Is Oscar Martinez. There have been so many conversations mm. recently as well around method acting. Because mm. obviously it seems to be every other week that some actor comes out and goes, oh, you know, I, I lived in a shoebox and I only ate beans <laughs> for a week to prepare for this role. Um, I'm thinking of Lady Gaga when she was preparing for House of Gucci and she gave so many wonderful interviews where she was saying, at one point, I believed I was this character and I may have assassinated Gaga. <laughs> oh, for the Gucci. Oh, God. I just, it was so wonderful. Just so, yeah. so kind of other planet. And then, We've had a kind of no one watching the film thought that exactly, exactly. (laughs) And I don't need to feel that from an actor, I don't need to feel that they were haunted by the ghost of (laughs) of Gucci to make this film. But (laughs) there's been a kind of backlash to that where actors are saying, Oh, I'm not a method actor, I don't, I don't do all that. And I think that one of the kind of scenes I very much enjoyed in the film is when we first kind of meet Felix and Ivan, and Ivan's very much like, Oh, we should, we should really like flesh out these characters and talk about their backstories. And Felix is like, no, because I'm an actor. I I just act, you see, and and I read the script. You know. <laughs> as if, as if I was, it's like the Ian McKellen bit in Extras, yes. where he's yeah. like, "For the duration of the scene, I pretend to be a wizard." <laughs> it's that, <laughs> and it's exactly that the sort of Ian timeline that he draws for Ricky Gervais's character, which is excellent. And there's a bit of that in it, isn't it? The kind of ridiculous simplification of acting which is all I do is pretend <laughs> think Casper it's really good it's sort of yeah. that scene writ large over two hours with some delicious sets and, yeah, um, yeah 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 all of that is really juicy <laughs> and pretty fun like I love Ivan's thing that he does of calling out his own name uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to see if he's there yeah. um, and he does it really beautifully and he's calling himself and the other two characters yeah. are looking at him like what you what you doing mate and then he just ends on one where he just goes Ivan like this and he's like it's like with a rising kind of question it's really funny and <laughs> I think you're very good at that Casper well I used to tread the boards questing my, my sort dear. of questing Searching, a <laughs> little bit of turmoil there, but not too much. Can I mean, I I'm, I'm always in search of of myself. But Casper, <laughs> I think the other thing, if I may, that this film did that was quite surprising was that it's this kind of comedy and satire. But I wasn't prepared for it to look so good. Yeah, um, and it looks an absolute treat. And the thing that's quite surprising is sort of all of the grandiose architecture in the background. Stunning, isn't it? It's really incredible to look at. The cinematography is super crisp and we have these actors often filmed against the backdrop of really quite stark architecture and there seems to be a fair bit of money that has been thrown at this project which made it quite worthwhile for me because the, as I was saying earlier, I think the comedy elements are, you know, they're what they are and they, they have pleasures that are, that are finite. But that was quite remarkable to me that it was such a pristine-looking object as well. Yes, the sets are beautiful, this kind of tropical modernist gorgeousness in, in somewhere in, in Spain. Mm. It's just got all that marble, those huge arching sort of ceilings. It's absolutely, it is totally beautiful. And Lola's outfits. Wow, I mean, I mean she looks great. I always think, I mean, this is why I love watching Almovidar films, because he yeah. always dresses Penelope Cruz in the most beautiful outfits. So it was nice to see some more filmmakers taking that same kind of like mm. uh, attention to detail. And she wears this incredible wig, which I don't think I'll ever be able to remove from my mind in the film. Let's go, let's describe <laughs> this wig. How oh, are we going to do this? I what saw someone it? describe it in a review as though it looked like it had been made out of red Brillo pads. 
and I thought that was quite a quite a harsh take. Uh, it is this enormous, like frizzy, really like beautiful a lux- shade. She's a luxuriant of red. redhead. Yes, yeah. yeah. That is before I even saw the film. That was like the one kind of reserving image I had in my head. I was like, oh yeah, it's that that film where Penelope Cruz is wearing that incredible wig, mm. and it doesn't distract in the way that I think some wigs. And this is something I talk about all the time because I'm fascinated by wigs in films, especially bad wigs. Like, Nicole Kidman is notorious for it. It's just something about that woman. She loves a role with a bad wig. And so it was nice to see a film with with a really good wig and a very memorable look for Penelope Cruz who has so many memorable looks throughout her career but yeah I did I found sometimes that even when I wasn't necessarily that interested in the kind of things the characters were doing I was like my eye was like drifting going oh, it's very nice. I wonder where this was shot this yeah. is lovely I'd like to go on holiday there totally. so at least there was always something that was kind of occupying me even when I wasn't necessarily quite so engaged with the the script or the kind of plot points I think that's a nice summation. There's there's not plenty for the intellect to do. There's enough, and there's loads of nice stuff to look at. (laughs) That is like the story. Don't put that. They won't be putting that on the poster. (laughs) That's the story of filmmaking. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of nice stuff to look at. (laughs) Yeah, I think we can rest our case there slightly, can't we? Nice one. Thanks, Hannah. We can stay with you. This is the bit where we talk about what it made us think about, and a film about filmmaking is presumably a rich pasture. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, uh, to munch. So where are you taking us? I'm taking us to the... I was I was going to say it's not that far, I guess. From Spain to Italy, it's a, a short a train. hop. Yeah, okay. you can get a, a very nice scenic train. Back to the 60s and Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, which is one of the most famous films about filmmaking. One of the most famous films, full stop, I think. Full stop. It's a wonderful film. Again, kind of about egos and legacies and directors who are larger than life and kind of go through a creative sort of block. In this case, it's his own kind of doing. Guido Anselmi's great passion project, this big sci-fi film he's trying to shoot, and he finds that he is suffering a kind of inability to finish the project. And that's sort of super of that era, the sort of sci-fi, the vogue for sci-fi, understanding the all of this stuff. And it's wonderful. This is Mario Mastroianni. Yes. Yeah, who yeah, plays yeah. That, Who plays Guido, yeah. It's very much like official competition. It's a very funny film, I found, and really kind of gets to the heart of what a kind of consuming process it is to, to be a filmmaker in a way that I didn't find kind of pretentious I think it's quite an earnest film for a Fellini it's Mm. you know it's really just about trying to marry art with the kind of financial business of filmmaking and and you know the kind of it's not why you're a writer and you sit in your room and you write something or you're an artist and you go to your studio and you paint something and if you can't do that there's a kind of pressure on you in a different way filmmaking is a business and if you have creative block and can't shoot something and put this shoot behind by five days you are putting a kind of whole ecosystem in jeopardy mm. so I'm you know I, I, I'm going off on a tangent here about how like filmmaking is a very strange art form in that way but uh, yeah I think it's a really kind of cornerstone of that subgenre of films about filmmaking it's a really yeah. really wonderful film and it shows you also eight and a half how little of filmmaking is 
if you're a director, is directing a shot. It's all about <laughs> massaging the egos of your, of your stars, sucking up to your producers. It is a logistical nightmare and only rarely a creative endeavour. It's just one of the That's, messages, I suppose, of Eight and a Half, isn't Absolutely. It? There's a wonderful <laughs> quote that I always think about um, from Orson Welles when he was kind of in his autumn years and he said that the role of the director is the role of a field marshal and your job mm. is to just make sure everyone else is doing their jobs, basically, which I think is something that we don't necessarily think of when we think of the great auteurs. We think of, you know, the, the Kubricks of the world and the Orson Wells of the world, the Hitchcocks. We think of them as these great creative forces, but they also have to be kind of able to marshal a whole production. And, of course, that's led to some bad behaviour by filmmakers because they feel like they have that kind of power on at their hands. But I think that it's a film that kind of gets that technical magic, I guess, behind filmmaking, that kind of multifaceted role that the director has without it feeling too inside baseball, to use a phrase that we used earlier today. Casper's yeah. <laughs> always going on about baseball, isn't he? <laughs> Mr Moneyball. Of, of all the sports. Of all the sports. <laughs> Big sports guy here. <laughs> um, I presume you're telling us about Moneyball. <laughs> what other uh, a league of their own I've got uh, it's not a baseball I, film it's not unfortunately okay. no um, <laughs> I actually quite like a baseball film though yeah yeah those are um, very good films you named yeah yeah. 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 yeah yeah I don't know what the best sport is for films in general baseball's probably boxing. up there boxing boxing yeah baseball. Box, oh Christ not yeah. boxing yeah no but they, they are good boxing films yeah they yeah. are it's just yeah. it's so overdone now we yeah. really don't need any more no, no more boxing films for another 10 years just well, moratorium I've got two excellent articles here that I'm going to commission you one <laughs> Hannah on wigs Casper on boxing too much boxing I think I may have written that he's got a <laughs> nose bloodied by too much exposure just to watching this stuff <laughs> anyway we, I thought you were going to tell us about a film that wasn't about sport <clears throat> or yes. about Mia Madre so Mia Madre is <laughs> to remain in Italy, actually, after Hannah's film, a film from about, I want to say, five years ago, something like that, by Nanni Moretti, one of my favourite directors. And like this film, it, it pits female film director against a big kind of ego, a big male actor, played in the film by John Turturro. And he plays the American actor with the ridiculous name Barry Huggins, um, <laughs> yeah. who is a thorn in the side of Margarita, the film director, played by Margarita Bui. And the film is really delightful. There's a, like, there's a big vein of comedy and some gorgeous set pieces, particularly a scene where John Turturro's character, Barry Huggins, is driving a car. And uh, you, can, you can keep up whenever you just keep on saying Barry Huggins. What's so funny is that he's always being spoken to in the film by Italians and they keep saying, okay. Barry, Barry Huggins. <laughs> <laughs> and that is its own pleasure. <laughs> Barry Huggins is driving a car. And he's got all of these cameras focused on the car and can barely see where he's driving. And he's driving completely maniacally and endangering the rest of the cast. So there are some really joyous bits like that. But what was interesting, I think, in comparing these two films is that Mia Madre is very much about the inner life of this director, much as Eight and a Half is about the inner life of, of Guido. And you really see her at home and with her brother and with her mother, and there's so much to counterbalance that outrageous comedy in big vein of sadness about the, about the illness of her mother and having to tend to her and 
and also what it's like to be a woman on set mm. and a woman in her middle age. And I think Moretti writes all of that so beautifully. It's such a gorgeous film about kind of a loss of culture because, of course, Barry Huggins, <laughs> um, this Italian actor who's kind of stampeding all over this Italian film, has been brought in because he has cachet. Yeah. He has cultural cachet of being an American film star. And he's, you know, effing up this Italian film, which was supposed to have been a social satire. And, and Moretti, I think, is kind of lamenting a cinema of yesteryear, an Italian cinema that could exist on its own terms and an Italian cinema that now seeks to look outwards in order to kind of sell tickets. And so there's a lot of really kind of forlorn and sad stuff about that loss of identity. There's a scene where Margarita, the director, her mother, who is ill, talks about how she used to be a Latin teacher and now she can hardly remember any Latin. And that's about the loss of, you know, Italy's history. And so that plays beautifully against the comedy that you see in the film. And so I did really miss that in this movie. But yeah, really gorgeous film, I think. Mia Lovely. Beautifully put. Thank you both so much. Hannah for choosing eight and a half. Casper for Mia Madre. That's what we've got time for today. But we have got time for one more thing. And that is Casper to say Barry Huggins in an Italian accent again. Barry Huggins. <laughs> Thank you very much to my guests. Casper <laughs> Salmon and Hannah Strong. Monocle... <laughs> so good. <laughs> Monocle and Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan Coombs and Steph Chungu. And Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bound, thank you very much for tuning in. 